Welcome back to the Cattle Menu Podcast. I'm Caroline Rose, the founder and CEO of K Rose Company and Cattle Menu. Thank you for joining us on this episode. I'm excited to bring you these conversations each week filled with relatable advice and techniques you can take back to your operation. It's my mission to make sure that we can ranch in the next generation. Make sure and subscribe where you're listening so you never miss a new episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Kettleman You Podcast. I actually have a guest that I have never met today, but I was on the collegiate wool judging team at Montana State University with her brother, which was a long time ago, way longer actually than I think I'd like to admit. And the ironic part was I really, besides some 4-H lambs, had no experience in the lamb and wool industry until I got involved in wool judging. And so it really kind of sparked my interest in the industry and it's just a fun little connection. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm glad we could connect. Of course. Why don't you start and just give us a little background about how you are involved in agriculture and a little bit about you guys and your family? Yeah, of course. I always like sharing my family's story. It's, you know, an interesting story, I think. But I also like that people like you are doing what you're doing to promote agriculture because um, we need more of it. So thanks for doing what you're doing. I'm third generation Greek sheep rancher. Both sides of my family immigrated from Greece. Um, They came from different parts of Greece, but they both ended up in Price, Utah, working in the coal mines. And then uh, word spread that land was for sale in this area of Colorado. And they both ended up here along with Really, a lot of other Greek ended up being Greek sheep ranchers, which is crazy. A lot of people don't really think of that. Anyway, yeah, they had ranching experience in Greece with sheep and goats. And so they came here and started doing that. And with just like any other ranching, farming family, there are so many challenges that they faced and overcame. And now we are two bar sheep company. So Like you said, it is my brother, Andrew. Uh, We have another brother, Zach, and then both my parents are still involved in the operation. I personally was never planning on coming back to the ranch. I left and went to college and I became a speech language pathologist. So I'm a speech therapist. And then when I ended up coming back like seven years ago now, which is insane, I got more involved in the ranch and I do still work part-time as a speech therapist, but then I do most of, I do ranch the other part of the time and working in schools, I get a lot of break during the summer and everything. So yeah, that's me. And I, (laughs) we don't, it's hard. People always ask like, what are, what's your role? And uh, I think we all kind of complement each other pretty well. We don't really have a definite role. I think we pick up each other's slack really well. Andrew does a lot of the operation stuff. He's full-time ranch. Um, Zach is an accountant, and so he does a lot of the number stuff. And then I've just kind of fallen into this role of like sharing our story, PR person, and like data keeping, doing things in the office, but also getting out there and helping wherever is needed. Talk a little bit about kind of what your operation looks like. Do you guys sell lambs? Do you do farm to table? What is the revenue source from your operation? Yeah, that's tricky. So we are a migratory sheep operation, which if 
they're kind of dying. I feel like migratory sheep operations are kind of a dying industry. Here in Northwest Colorado, there still are quite a few of us, but a lot of people think of like sheep ranches as like more farm flocks where they're just moving pasture to pasture. We are on the open range, so sometimes we're in pastures, but we also graze outside on the range. And like right now, our sheep are spending the summer up on high in the forest permits, and then they'll start coming down. And we winter in the high desert where winters aren't usually as harsh. And for anyone really concerned, the sheep always have sheep herders or shepherds with them. So they're not just out there roaming around on their own. Uh, yeah, but our primary revenue sources, we, we breed for meat. So we're selling um, our lambs for meat for consumption. Um, and then we have a secondary revenue source in the wool. Um, we also like, you know, to produce a high quality product with our wool as well. But um, meat's always kind of been our number one. And then wool is our number two. We do a little bit of, I mean, I kind of do a little bit of selling direct to consumer, not a ton. We're not set up for it where on the level where others are that I see. We do a little bit of that, but not a lot. That would, it's just more, we're selling, we're feeding out lambs, we're processing lambs, and then we're selling, you know, to retailers or wherever it might be across America. Let's talk a little bit about your labor. So I'm assuming that you guys um, use some programs to get your, do you call them herders? That's what they call them in Montana. Yeah, we call them herders. I know some people call them shepherds. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I know that labor in agriculture is really, really challenging. And we have had a hard time on our operation. Just one, it's like you have to find someone who lives in the area because you have to provide housing. And there's a lot of kind of issues. And I know that in the sheep industry, that has been a huge topic of conversation. It's like, how do you find um, herders who want to follow the sheep and who want to be involved in that lifestyle? So can you give us a little glimpse in that? Who do you have as herders and kind of where do you find these team members, these employees that want to do that job? Yeah. And you're so right. I think labor, I mean, really across America is such an issue right now. We are part of the H-2A work visa program. So we do bring sheep herders from South America. Most of our sheep herders come from Peru or Mexico. We have one guy from Chile and one guy from Bolivia. If someone applies like domestically, if an American applies and wants to do the job of a sheep herder, we do have to hire them first, um, but no one really ever applies. <laughs> so we are very, very lucky. We have some really great guys that have worked for us for years. I mean, one of our like main guys has been here for 25 plus years working with us. And then you get referrals through those guys and you know they want to bring their brother or their cousin or whoever it may be. Um, and so we're really lucky with the workforce that we have. And we do provide board, uh, room and board, and then they they make their monthly paychecks, and it's it's good. Uh, they do really well, but yeah, labor laws, especially in Colorado. I don't know Montana, but it seems like Colorado kind of follows California, and so it's been very challenging lately. And they pretty much, I mean, in the summer, they are moving around with the sheep, right? Give a little bit of what their kind of day in the life or week in the life looks like. (laughs) Ah, 
I don't know if I could do what they do. So in the summer, we are so high in the mountains. A good amount of our guys move from their sheep camps, like that you might see little um, wagons or so, into tents because where the sheep are, there aren't roads. They're not accessible by roads. So our guys that are checking on them, our camp tenders, are going in and checking these guys every one to two days with a horse and pack string, taking in supplies seeing what's going on with them. But, you know, in today's day and age, I think everyone is able to somehow access Wi-Fi or not Wi-Fi, but cell phone signals. So they're able to, they have their little solar panels and charge everything. A day in the life, I wouldn't be able to speak very accurately, but I know like um, in the morning they're waking up and they're going and checking the sheep. So they all have their horses. They can ride horses. They can walk if they want. Going and checking the sheep and making sure that they're all coming out of the bed ground. In the summer, we have a ton of predator issues. So I would say that they're checking to see if, you know, predators got into the herd, if there are any that survived and may have some injuries, or if there are any that did not survive. And we have to report those kills within 24 hours. So they're documenting that then kind of move the sheep to their area to graze for the day and then they go back to their tent and have lunch and relax whatever they need to do and then they're going back in the evening rounding up the sheep and taking them to the bed ground are you trying to find the right planner to start the new year with look no further We've created the Cattle Menu Planner for ranch wives, mothers, and daughters who are looking for the perfect place to capture all of their thoughts throughout the year. Our planner is the perfect guide to help you get your operation started. In the Cattle Menu Planner Paving Your Path, you will create the foundation for your operation, set goals, and learn how to implement them. We've included our customer favorite blank calendar pages so you can start when you're ready. Grab yours today at cattlemenulive.com backslash planner. I was just out with one of our NRCS girls here and I was like, oh, this must be a sheep bedground. You can see like all the sheep poop around. And she's like, I don't even know what a sheep bedground is. And I'm like, oh, well, uh, the sheep usually like will bed. You know, we have our specific bedgrounds and they're usually bedding kind of up higher on a hill. They're getting the last sunlight of the day and then the first morning sunlight. And so it's just really interesting, something that I never thought of. I thought everyone knew, but of course they don't. I can't, I don't think I could do what they do, what the herders do, but it is so incredible. The ones that I've been around and I've experienced, they love the work and they love coming and being a part of it. It's such a cool experience. I mean, it's like they fit in just perfectly with the type of lifestyle and they feel so thankful to be able to work that hard. And it's really, I think it's frustrating because we have like you said, no one is applying for these positions. And so it's this type of labor that we can't get unless we bring someone in. And it's just discouraging because we know there's people out there that need jobs in the U.S. But the experience I've had with herders is they just love what they do. And they're so excited to be here and be a part of an operation and play their role. Absolutely. I agree. And it's really cool to see or to hear some of the stories of these guys, you know, they might come, we had a guy that worked for us for like 30 plus years. He came, he could barely read and write, but he put all his brothers and sisters through school. They became doctors and lawyers down in Mexico, but he was also still very 
proud of what he did and his work and was like you said kind of feel like part of the family they're happy to be here happy to be doing what they're doing let's talk a little bit about kind of the lamb industry so one of the things part to add to the conversation is I own a retail store called the rancher's daughter where we sell um, local lamb beef chicken pork bison and it is so amazing to me that the number of people that come in that have never tried lamb and I can only imagine on a large scale you know what that problem is I love lamb. We grew up eating lamb. My dad would always make me feed an extra 4-H lamb. And then on the packaging, he'd write its name so that we could have it for dinner. (laughs) But um, I think that the lamb industry as a whole, that's probably one of the major concerns is there's just a large portion of people who don't eat lamb or who have never tried lamb or had a bad one bad meal. And so talk a little bit about kind of what you do on social media, just kind of getting people used to lamb and how to cook it and what it looks like to live on a sheep operation. Yeah, lamb is tricky. Like you said, a lot of people haven't tried it. I think a lot of it goes back to, you know, when we were like in World War II, a lot of those soldiers were eating mutton and then and they just despised it so much so that they didn't want to feed it to their families, come back and eat it again. And so now we're kind of on this uphill battle of there's a big difference between lamb and mutton. And what I do is I just kind of try to show one, our lifestyle. I, I think people think of ranching and you're like constantly out there driving a tractor or riding a horse, which I do love doing those things, but there's so much more to it. There's a ton of office work, like where I'm at now, that type of thing. But also with cooking lamb, people are just afraid to cook it. They don't know how to cook it is what I've learned. Anytime my dad is like, anytime someone does something for us, he's like, ah, give them some lamb. And a lot of people will be like, I don't even know what to do with this lamb. And then I think it's just overthought. Like it's really easy. I try to one, like share what we season lamb with all the time. It's pretty basic. I think you can go to like any store and get what we get and season your lamb Um, and we just grill it or bake it and it's so easy and it's so good like you don't have to do this fancy fancy recipe that I think people have in their minds that they need to do to have like a quality meal with lamb in it. Yeah I love lamb it's one of my favorite things to cook. I introduced my husband and his family to lick a lamb for the holidays which was really fun. Um, what is one of your favorite cuts of lamb and how do you like to cook it? Mm, that's challenging. But lately, I think it's going to be a leg of lamb on the trigger. So I'm like totally turned on to this. Uh, I haven't really done it with a bone in leg lately. I've just done it with the boneless legs, but just season it up. Always um, kosher salt, pepper, lemon pepper, garlic of some sort, like granulated garlic and oregano if you do have fresh oregano it like adds a little bit more but i just kind of put it on there heavily and throw it on the traeger at like 300 and then just let it cook turn it down so like 300 for 30 minutes turn it down to 250 for another hour and a half and you can turn it like once and it just is so amazing what i have learned from my mom though is you have to do rest time i don't know if you like are into the resting of your meats but my mom is like this huge advocate for it. And I really do think it makes a difference. So you let it rest, squeeze some lemon juice on it. And it's so good. 
Ooh, I've never tried lemon juice. I'll try that. Yeah, don't forget the lemon. The Greeks are all about lemon, so like everything has lemon on it. <laughs> Speaking of that, you have done a lot on social media with your grandma. Yes. Right? Is that how she's tied in? Okay. And I love that because my grandma is heavily involved in our operation. She is in her late 80s. I won't say her age in case she listens to the podcast. Um, And she has a pilot's license. And she grew up doing all of the farming and ranching while my grandpa was an eye doctor in town. And so she has played such an integral role in our operation that I love the legacy of when you do things with your grandma. And so talk a little bit about kind of how that idea came up and what legacy means to your family. Because you share about, you know, that relationship and being multi-generation and things like that on your social media. Yeah. Um, so my grandma or my Yaya, who's still here with us as my mom's mom, I don't really know how I started bringing her in. I think that anytime I go around town, people will be like, oh, Georgia, I saw your grandma. She's so great. She's so funny. I love talking to her. And I was like, you know, more people need to hear Yaya's story and more people need to like just hear her accent, if nothing else. And so I... Um, just started bringing her in and she's a natural she loves it she will take over the camera and then she my favorite thing about her is she goes and like to the store someone will be like hey Yaya like I know you don't know me but I know Georgia and she's like somebody one of your friends saw me on tv and they said hi (laughs) so it's so funny um but legacy that I sorry I didn't touch on that I really just grew up with them. So uh, my dad, when we were younger, my dad was really involved in American sheep industry, ASI. He was like vice president and president. So he was traveling a lot. And uh, my mom had three young kids. We're all within three years. We're really close. And so she would just like pack us up and take us to my grandparents' ranch or like head out to what she grew up doing with her parents. And so I've spent a lot, a lot of time with my mom's parents yeah, so the legacy part, I just spent so much time with her, and I still continue to spend a lot of time with her. Like, she is in her upper 80s as well, and my papu or my grandpa passed away a few years ago, and until then, she had never done any book work. She doesn't know how to write a check, but she still was left with this, like, ranching operation. They don't own any livestock anymore. We lease everything, but she still has a lot, and uh, so I've started helping her, like, pay your bills and do our leases and all of that stuff. And so I just am really close with her. And I, I think she has so much to share. And so I wanted to share her with the world. And it's kind of crazy how many people love Yaya. Yeah, I love it. And I think that one of the things in agriculture is we are so like we focus and we think about the next generation so much, right? It's always yeah. a conversation, I think, in agriculture. But it's almost like we're so focused on the next generation that we forget about kind of where we came from. And I mean that in a play way, like we're not doing it on purpose, but it's almost like grandparents just it's like they've worked really hard and now they're in their 80s and the value that they have to share and just every time I go and ship cattle I call one of my grandparents on the phone if I'm going to be close to them and I'm like do you want to ride along like I think that they you know they put so much blood sweat and tears into the operation that it's nice to be able to you know get them involved and spend time with them and I'm sure 
you know, I always think about my grandparents. I still have four living grandparents and they're in their late 80s and mid 90s. And I always I'm like, I'm never going to regret spending time. So I love that you do that. And I love that you share her with Instagram. Well, thanks. Well, I know exactly how you feel. So it's just great to always include them because you don't want them to feel forgotten. Yeah. And she is, she like has her own little character on there. It's great. So it's a, <laughs> I, a smart move to introduce her. <laughs> oh, well, thanks. I really need to bring her back. I think just life has gotten kind of crazy. And honestly, she's so busy too. I mean, yesterday I went and saw her, but I hadn't seen her for like a week. And I'm like, Yaya, what have you been doing? She's like, oh, I'm so busy. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I know the feeling. for a way to build your confidence working cattle in a low stress environment we're hosting three she's a hand ranch camps in montana in 2024 and now is the time to apply you can join us on april 24th through 28th may 23rd through 27th or october 10th through 14th in 2024 at our women's only camp you will learn the hands-on skills we're expected to know but never taught each camp is limited to 14 spots and they are filling fast you can apply today at cattlevenuelive.com backslash she's dash a dash and dash ranch dash camp. We're accepting applications on a rolling basis so you can get your spot within 24 hours of applying. Let's talk a little bit about working with parents and with siblings because you have the pleasure of working both with your brothers and with your parents. What are some things that you have learned, some maybe tips and tricks to surviving that situation and really thriving in it? Yeah, that's like a really good question. I think, you know, it has its pros and cons because I think that's one of the greatest things about agriculture is you do get to work with your family so closely, but at the same time, like you're around each other sometimes so much that you just lash out on them. I will say like, so I'm the oldest in the family and I'm the only girl and I definitely have more emotions. And so just learning to control my emotions has been probably one of the biggest things because um, if something goes wrong or like, I don't think I can do something, I, I used to really like get upset and then it would just trigger my brothers for sure because, you know, we're siblings. And so just being able to control those emotions has been a huge deal. Like, really thinking through things before one, I ask for help or two, just like completely lose it. I also will say like my brother, I think growing up so closely has really strengthened our bond. Like I said, we're all within three years and every summer, all summer, we would go to the ranch and uh, kind of stay out there and not come back until fair time. So we had to learn to get along because we had no one else to hang out with. So we had to learn just, um, you know, how to, cope with things that were upsetting us. But one of the things too that I think is great, my dad actually has taught us all like the power of communication and how important communication is. And he's always been really good about, you know, if you have an issue with somebody, talk about it, but then let it go. And so that's something that we do a lot and we're able to continue to operate well and like each other. (laughs) Do any of you guys have any kids? No, none of us are married. Uh, my mom's very upset about that, but no, none of us are married. <laughs> <laughs> we have kids. 
Well, you'll enjoy this story. So my brother's five years older than me, and he's on the operation full time. And I'm only on the big days because I'm off with the marketing company. And I remember he has two kids. So Ellie is five and Jason is seven. And they, you know, when they first learned that that was my brother, that was like a novel concept, you know. (laughs) And then I referred to him as my friend because we get along so well now. There were years where I thought he was going to leave me alongside the road. But now we get along. And I remember the very first time I said, well, you know, your dad, my brother, is my friend. And Ellie was probably three at the time. And she said, "Uh, you can't be friends with your brothers. (laughs) And I said, oh, okay. So what are we? And she's like, you're siblings. No friendship. I was like, great. Okay. That sums up quite a few of the working days. Oh, how funny. Yeah, I'm so thankful, though. Aren't you thankful, too, like, to have your siblings, but also be, like, some of your best friends? Oh, yeah. It's the best. And I just... I look at family operations where they talk about sibling dynamics and it can be really hard. I'm the only girl. I have two brothers. I'm definitely more emotional. I also make a good chunk of my living on the computer and my brother makes all of his living with physical labor. And so, you know, I came out of college. We both have college degrees, but I came out and I was like, well, I'm too busy to help you. And he's like, what do you mean? You're just on that computer all day. I mean, it was such a learning curve, but it is such a treasured relationship now that we've like settled in and really figured out what roles we each belong to and where we thrive and all these things that like, there's nothing better. Like I cannot wait to run the operation with him. I agree. I think those first few years, and it sounds like you guys kind of went through the same thing. When I came back, Andrew had already been back for like a year, I think. And so just kind of Figuring out where you each have your roles without clashing is probably the most important. And those years were a little tricky. I would say like the beginning years were a little tricky, but now we've kind of found our lanes. And uh, a lot of it too is just respecting each other and respecting what the other one is doing, like your computer work, knowing that that's important too. And, uh, And then it just, it does, it works really well once you figure out all those little kinks. Yeah, it's such a blessing. So wait until some of you have kids or if that ever gets added to the equation because it makes it even better because you're over there for dinner. I go over there all the time now for dinner because my niece and nephew are like, can auntie come to dinner? And my brother can't really say no, you know what I mean? And so then we get to be, you know, it like really strengthen our relationship because now not everything we're talking about revolves around work. It's like we're talking about his kids and you know, me doing things with his kids and all this stuff. And so it really kind of like expanded our relationship. But I just, I think having siblings on operations, it's such a blessing. And I think when you add cousins, I always tell my brother, that makes me a little nervous when it's my kids and your kids, but we'll figure that out when that time comes. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it does get a little difficult. I mean, we, my dad and his brother, you know, were ranching together and then years ago we split and I think it's probably been the best thing just to maintain like our relationship with my cousins. Yeah, absolutely. Talk a little bit about what you wish people knew about the sheep and lamb industry that you don't think people know. Mm -hmm. I don't think people really know everything that goes into the final product, you know, so they might see like a wool sweater 
for example, and be like, wow, that is so expensive to pay whatever it is for this wool sweater. But everything that goes into that and how it's a natural fiber and just like the benefits one of wool, if we're talking about wool, I don't think a lot of people know the benefits of wool versus synthetic fibers and all the family like labor, not even just family labor, the labor in general and the the system to get it to become that sweater. I agree. It's a very labor intensive and I think that it's slowly becoming a lost art. I really worry about that in the shearing world. I have like I'm a certified wool classer and I haven't done it for a couple of years, but I just you hear people talking about how hard it is now to get shearing crews and there's less shearing crews out there. And I just think that it's an industry that is so vital, but it's not nearly as appreciated as the beef industry is. No, it definitely isn't. I just don't know if people don't know as much. You know, I think the beef industry has done a really great job marketing. And when people like go to a restaurant or even the store, they're thinking of like ground beef or steak or something. So the sheep industry is kind of gone by the wayside in a way, or it just hasn't been marketed as well. And people don't understand it. I would agree. Well, let's go into some rapid fire questions. And since I already asked you about cut of lamb, I'll leave the question as it is. But it is, what is your favorite cut of steak? And how do you like to cook it? I'm going to go with like a ribeye. And I'm just going to go with the grill. And uh, medium rare to medium. Perfect. That's how I like it too. (laughs) Um, You talked a little bit about this, but what is an ag industry topic that you think needs talked about more in the general media? Hmm. I like. I want to say like the livestock sector in ways of what we do and how it actually benefits the environment, not destroys it. I would definitely agree, and I think we're getting better at it, but I still don't think we're quite quite talking about it enough. Um, what is one piece of advice? What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Hmm, that's a really good one. Um, I think. Someone once told me, like, follow follow your heart, but take your brain with you. And um, I think we sometimes get, like, lost in these dreams, but we have to remember reality, too. Definitely agree with that. Um, I'm a dreamer, so I understand that. <laughs> um, what is your dream non-career job? So if money wasn't an object, what is something you've ever thought? You're like, okay, I would love to try this. I would you know, love to do that. Yeah. Honestly, like my dream is to just be able to do like ranching full time. I know that sounds so cheesy, but I would be completely happy with just doing ranching full time and not having to work outside as well. I think that's a good answer. I think sometimes we take for granted. There's a lot of listeners who are on the operation full time. And I think that one, it's based on season of life, it's based on personality, and it's based on what works for families. But there are people who are on operations full time, wish they had a ta- you know, a part time town job, and vice versa. And so it really just depends on the season. But I think that, you know, waking up every day, working 16 hours, so you don't have to work eight hours for someone else does sound like a dream. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much. This was great. It was good to have you on. And we'll put all of your social media handles and all your information in the show notes so people can follow along with your journey. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'm glad we were able to do it. It was a lot of fun. Yes, thank you. 
Thanks again for listening to the Cattle Menu Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. We are thankful to have you in your community. Like always, remember, the grass is greener where you water it.